knowledge versus revelation. And uh, you can have a lot of knowledge about the Bible, and a lot of people do, but uh, it hasn't transformed them. And we're going to go into detail about part of the reason. Uh, But I encourage you this week, the weeks to come, days to come, to invite somebody to church. And uh, because I believe that this church is a tremendous blessing. We have a lot of great churches in our city, a lot of great churches, and I'm thankful for them. Uh, But this is the one I pastor. So uh, uh, I'm thankful that um, we have a great, great church because of you guys. I want to talk a little bit today uh, about our relationship with Jesus and because I know it's vitally important uh, from what I've been teaching for the last four or five years about grace versus legalism. And I know that some people um, think, well, yeah, that's been good. Uh, this week, the Lord has just really showed me that, no, it's more than just a good message. Grace is more than just a good message. Uh, without this revelation, uh, you're never going to have the full benefit of the relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and with your Heavenly Father. So uh, if you look at Jesus and how it seems like he was so different from the the religious leaders of his time, I mean, it was like night and day, Uh, you're going to understand a little bit more, I believe, after today's message. And uh, I, my prayer for you is that uh, this message will cause you to have a better relationship and fellowship with Jesus. Intimacy. You know, if you've seen that phrase, I don't know who came up with it. It's pretty old. Into me, see? Intimacy. How many of you have seen that? Nobody. That's because you all don't watch TV, you don't watch movies, you don't listen to anything. So anyway, this is why my messengers are so powerful here. Come on now. Anyway, <laughs> intimacy. But this is what is vital because a lot of times it's intimacy what we think and we look into ourselves. And God is saying, no, I want you to intimacy, into see Jesus. Because when we start seeing inside of him, it's going to change your world. It will change your world. And... Uh, this week I was just, you know, sometimes I'm just, I know some of you think I'm weird, but that's all right. My wife does too, so it's okay. And we have a great relationship. Uh, I was just thinking about heaven and being in heaven. I mean, picturing myself in heaven and seeing all these people. Uh, my mom and dad are there. And my friend, I've got friends. My best friend when I was growing up, he, he's passed on. And so I've got some people there. And, but I just thought about that. Not, this was not morbid, so don't get, I wasn't thinking sad or morbid. So um, I was thinking about this, and I just thought, man, I just pictured myself sitting down talking face-to-face with Jesus. Man, I was just sitting there just talking to him, and I just said, this is so awesome just to be able to talk. This is, man, in heaven, man, I can't wait to get here because just to be able to talk to you like this, man, I mean, it's not like that on earth, and he just, I just pictured him smiling. Don't get ooky spooky spiritual on me. I mean, it's no, nothing weird. But anyway, I'm just picturing this, all right? Follow me. So I'm picturing this, and he just smiled at me, and he said, it should be the same way on earth as it is here. 
talking to him face-to-face should be the same. And you remind me of the story of um, Thomas. You know, after he, Jesus was resurrected, he came to some, the majority of the disciples saw Jesus, but not Thomas. He wasn't there. So the disciples were telling Thomas about, man, we saw Jesus. And he goes, "Uh uh-uh. Until I see him putting my fingers in his side, I'm not going to believe. I got to believe it to see it. So a few days later, the disciples were all gathered together. This time Thomas was there and pop, Jesus pops in. Thomas looks at him and goes, my Lord and my Savior, you're the man. And Jesus says, you believe because you see. And he says one word after that. Blessed are those who believe and don't see. So the Lord reminds me, he says, if you, truly, you think it's a blessing just to see me and talk. He says, no, 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 no. It's a greater blessing to talk to him and believe and not see him and yet believe. That's a greater blessing. That's something to swallow, if you can. I know there's, in my foundation in these last four or five years, that has something been placed there that cannot be removed by any message or anybody, any demon in hell. And that is, first of all, that God is good no matter what. No matter what, he's good. And that uh, he loves me no matter what, no matter what I do, I cannot get him to even remotely have a bad thought about me. And uh, wouldn't it be nice if you, all of your relationships were like that? That was just a fleeting thought. But anyway, and that's probably what it, all it is, too, is a fleeting thought. But anyway, and then the third one is that um, all of my sins are forgiven no matter what. Those are in my foundation. So I was thinking about that. You know, people come to me from time to time or email or Facebook a lot of times about, uh, well, what about this? You know, you're saying that our, your sins aren't uh, considered by Jesus. Well, what about this? And what about that? And, you know, and judgment on this. And, ju- and I just read it. And there's a lot of them I have no answer for. But it does not uh, make me doubt what I have in my foundation. I, don't, I can't explain everything that, you know, what's this scripture? I mean, what's that scripture? I mean, I, I don't know. Well, you say that God's always good. What about this? And, and God's never looking at your sin. So what about this? I just smile and go, don't know. But I still believe the same. That scripture that you're pointing out to me will not cause me to change what I believe. And you'll understand this more as I go into the message. But there was one scripture. I think I preached on this a year ago. Don't hold me to that because time frame is not one of my giftings. So, but I remember preaching on John 15, 1 and 2. It says, I am the true vine, and my father is a vine dresser. Everybody turn off your iPhones and iWatches. All right. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And that just slapped me upside the head. Every branch that does not bear fruit, he takes away. How many think that sounds really negative and bad? And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. I was just thinking about that, and I just thought, man, I, I don't know about this. So I looked up that uh, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. That phrase takes away. I looked it up and studied that phrase. 
And uh, I realized that the translators really kind of butchered that, takes away. If you look that up in the Strong's translation, it actually means to lift up and bear. And so the Passion translation, I believe, got it right. I am true... I am a true sprouting vine, and the farmer who tends the vine is my father. Listen to this. He cares for the branches connected to me by lifting and propping up the fruitless branches and pruning every fruitful branch to yield a greater harvest. I think that's a better way. He props up. Now, there's some scriptures, don't get me wrong. I, I study them out, and, I, and it's still like Greek to me. I can't figure it out. I just put those on a shelf. Because I know what my foundation is. But this scripture, I really, it, it just blew up to me. A couple summers ago, Melody, she's got um, two boxes of, uh, she's got raspberry vines everywhere and blackberries everywhere. I love those. She was, I was out there while she was tending to it. Um, I don't tend to it. That's her thing. And um, I go to Walmart if we run out of blackberries and raspberries. That's where... I do my gardening. But anyway, I, uh, she was out there, and I was talking to her and everything. And there were some of the vines that were down in the dirt. And she said, yeah, if I, if I don't pull these out of the dirt and prop them up, they'll not produce anything. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> the scripture just went, popped in my mind. I just thought, that's what that scripture is all about. And this is a thing as well. She said, I have to lift them up. And I thought, because they can't lift themselves up, they have to have help. The scripture is talking about, you know, um, not being able to bear fruit because you need help being lifted up. And you can't even lift up yourself. God has to do that. Isn't that good? Everybody said grace. That's the grace of God. That's the grace of God. So I know there's people that know Scripture, and there's been times that I've really known Scripture in the past, but I didn't connect the two with Jesus. You think, what? Knowing Jesus, knowing the heart of him, and not trying to just live by the letter of the law. Now, don't get me wrong, because there's a lot of teaching going on. You may not know this, but I, I do... A lot of random research. And there's a lot of people, well, not a lot, there's some people out there that are trying, they're making the word of God of not as valid. And there's so many mistakes in the word of God. And, and they just are watering down the word of God. That, I believe, is wrong 1,000%. Uh, can I explain everything? Again, no, I can't. But I do know that God has given us his word and that we need to highly, highly uh, prioritize that in our life. Having said that, if people are just living by the word as far as and not having a relationship and fellowship with Jesus, I'm telling you, you'll become legalistic. You will. And uh, this is exactly what was happening with the Pharisees in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that Jesus was dealing with. The Pharisees were the most word-oriented people when it came to the letter of the law. They knew the letter of the law. And uh, if you 
look at that, that's who Jesus had the most problems with. The Pharisees knew that Jesus, they believed that he was a sinner. Could you imagine? Thinking, saying with your mouth that Jesus was a sinner. That just makes my mind go, woo. In John 9, 16, this is the Passion Translation. It says, an argument broke out among the Pharisees over the healing of the blind man on the Sabbath. Some said, this man who performed this healing is clearly not from God. Talking about Jesus. He doesn't even observe the Sabbath. Is it true? Yeah, it's true. He didn't put the Sabbath above the needs of the people, yet the Pharisees were living by the letter of the law. The letter of the law says you shouldn't work, and so they said it's not even proper to heal on the Sabbath because that is a work. Jesus comes along and says, I know my Father, and I know who I am, and this is the right thing to do. And I know that I'm not going to get into too much controversy here because there's going to be a lot of that in just a minute. But, uh, you know, when people say, I know some people say, you know, Jesus, he, he never broke the law. He did, in my opinion, in my opinion. I believe he did because the Bible says that um, you weren't supposed to touch a leper. He touched a leper. It was illegal to do that. He did many things like that. And you, some people just brush that under. But I believe the reason is because the Bible says that the law was never intended for the righteous. It was intended for the unrighteous. Jesus was righteous, so he was not living by the law. Just food for thought. Just food for thought. Don't throw anything and don't Facebook me. I get enough of that. Anyway. John 9, 16 says this, Therefore some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, talking about Jesus, because he does not keep the Sabbath. Others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So the Pharisees were sitting there and saying, Jesus is not for me, God. He's not who he says he is. Because we know the law, and this is what the law says, and this is what the law means, and he's not doing it. John 9, 24 says, So once again, they summoned the man who was healed of blindness and said to him, Swear to God to tell us the truth. We know the man who healed you is a sinful man. Do you agree? Talking about Jesus, he is a sinful man. This is why we have the slogan that, mean, that says, Rethink God. Because... There's still a lot of that kind of attitude of the Pharisees and Sadducees still in the religious world. There is. And um, I know that we just need more and more teaching, including myself, to, to know the heart of God. We learn how to think about God by being in a relationship with him. I, and, I, and I do not mean that you shouldn't read your Bible because when I read the Word of God, I always have the attitude, Lord, speak to me through your Word. But we need to hear from God as well. In 2 Corinthians 3, 4, it says this, we carry this confidence in our hearts because of our union with Christ before God. 
Yet we don't see ourselves as capable enough to do anything in our own strength, for our true confidence flows from God's empowering presence. He's saying, we don't, I don't, I'm not looking at myself thinking I'm capable of it, but my confidence flows from God's empowering presence. He alone makes us adequate ministers who are focused on an entirely new covenant. Our ministry is not based on the letter of the law. There you go. Paul is saying, my ministry is not based on the letter of the law, but through the power of the Spirit. The letter of the law kills, but the Spirit pours out life. And uh, I did a teaching again a year or so ago on the law and the covenants. I don't know if you were there or remember it, but, it, you know, people say, well, God gave the law. He did, but it wasn't his idea. If you remember the story, I'll just give you a, a synopsis of a paragraph of my teaching on it. When God met Moses, he says, I want you to go tell the people tomorrow I'm going to come and visit them. Tell them I'm going to be their priest. I'm going to be their God. Now, when that terminology meant more then than it does today, if I, if somebody said if God or somebody says I'm going to be your priest, that meant it's going to be one on one. You're not going through any mediator, no man or anything. If if I'm your priest, God's saying it's one mano y mano. Is that right? Okay, good. I barely know English. I can't believe I'm trying to say some other language. But anyway, uh, and this would be an awesome thing, would it not? So God says, I'm going to be their personal God. So the people says, yeah, sounds good. And so they come to the mountain. God comes down on the mountain. And man, there's fire and smoke and just pillars of fire and smoke. And man, it's the best 4th of July you've ever seen in your life. And yet the people saw that. Moses, you know, he starts drawing closer to the mountain. Moses draws closer to the mountain. The people go, Moses, uh -uh. <laughs> we ain't going there. You just go to God and tell him whatever he wants us to do, we'll do. So Moses goes back to God and says, this is what the people want. Moses come back. He came back down with the law. Because that's what the people wanted. They wanted to say this. We're not going to have an intimate relationship with you based upon just you and me. Our relationship is going to be based upon what we can or cannot do. I want you to remember that. Our relationship is going to be based upon do's and don'ts. So God gave them a list of do's and don'ts. But I'm here to tell you it was never his best thing for the people. If I would ask you this, what is the number one thing that God did not want you to know? Not five, not three, not two, only one. If there is only one thing that you can think of that God would say, I don't want you to know that one thing. Only one. In Genesis, he, he does all of the creation of the whole universe. 
And he gets done and he says, man, this is good stuff. Everything's perfect. Everything's done perfectly. It was very good. But God put a tree in the garden. And he tells Adam and Eve, he says, you can eat of every tree in the garden. You can do anything and everything. But there's only one thing that I don't want you to do. And that is to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The knowledge of good and evil. Genesis chapter 2 verse 9 he says, And out of the ground the Lord God made every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for fruit, food. The tree of life. Now listen to this. The tree of life was there. They could eat of that. The tree of life is Jesus, represents Jesus. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You think, why in the world did he stick that stinking tree in there in the first place? Because God wants true love. And true love, you know what true love does? Always gives you a choice. Always love gives you a choice. You better do what I say or else. Well, that's, that's not good. There's no choice in that. But God says, I love you so much, I'm going to give you a choice. In chapter 2, verse 16, if you drop down, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day you eat of it you shall surely die. I'm going to tell you something. When they did partake of that, they did not become good and evil. Listen to me. Don't, don't fall asleep just yet. They didn't become good and evil. They had knowledge of good and evil. God says there's only one thing I don't want you to know. Good and evil. I looked that up in in Hans Strong Dictionary, good and evil. It's the same as right and wrong. There's only one thing that God doesn't want you to know, and that's right from wrong. Makes your head go tilt just a little or a whole lot. Only one thing God doesn't want you to know is right from wrong. I don't get it, God. What is up with that? I mean, if you got kids, you want them to know right from wrong. And all the parents said, amen. amen. And so I'm, don't take this message and get stupid on me and go, okay, I'm not going to do it. No, you, you keep teaching your kids right from wrong. Don't go there. But the number one thing that God did not want you to know is right from wrong. Why? Why? Why did he not want you to know that? I don't know about you, but that's probably a great temptation for an Adam and Eve thinking, we're not supposed to know that. I think I want to know that. So they ate, and guess what? They knew. All of a sudden, they knew. They they were naked. They knew things they didn't know before. And when God showed up, the first thing they did was run and hide. Not 
because they became good and evil, but they had knowledge of good and evil, or they had knowledge of right and wrong. And they felt like they did wrong, and because they felt like they did wrong, that now they ran from God because their relationship with God had now become of what they could do right or wrong instead of just having intimacy and walking with God in the cool of the day. They replaced that with do's and don'ts. You don't think the grace message is powerful? I'm going to say it again. Their relationship became with God replaced by being just intimate and walking with God. Now the relationship has been replaced by right and wrong. That's how they were going to relate to God. God knew that. And so he says, I don't want you to know that. Man. This may be one of the most powerful messages I've ever preached in my life. Because we still do it today. The law came before Moses on Mount Sinai. A version of the law took place in the garden. That's a version of law. We're not basing our relationship upon Jesus or upon God the Father. We're basing our relationship on what we have with him based upon what we can do right and wrong. Law. My opinion, law took place in the garden, not on Mount Sinai. What we can we do right? We'll be closer with God. But if we don't avoid the wrong, we'll have to run from him. So law or doing right from wrong will distance yourself from Almighty God. What did Adam and Eve do? They ran from him. What does mankind do today? What do you do? What do I do when we feel like, man, we've really let God down? I don't think I'm going to go to church today. <laughs> I don't think I'm going to do that. I'm not going to, you know, all those Christians, they're just, you're basing your relationship on God upon what you can do right or you've not avoided enough wrongs. God understood that. I don't know about you, but that just opened up everything on the planet to me. Because we step into an element of self-righteousness. We step into an element of self-righteous. Because if we do good, we'll be close to God. But if we don't, we're not as close to God. How have you been doing? Well, I've not been doing good with God this week. So who's it based upon? You. God understood that. He understood if we get into the reality of right from wrong, it's no longer going to be based upon walking with him, being with him, him, Jesus, the main focus. It's going to be based upon whether you do good or if you mess up. Whoa! 
this is so, you're going to be set free today. I'm telling you. Self-righteous, as soon as you have that as a way of life, of doing right or doing, avoiding the wrong, you step out of relationship with God because it, all, it becomes all about you now. My ability to do right or to not do wrong. God knew that. And he knew the knowledge of good and evil. That we would use that to have a relationship with him instead of just talking and being close to him. Why was Jesus so different in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John to the Pharisees and religious people than he was the sinners, the prostitutes, and tax collectors? Did you notice that? I mean, if you just read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I mean, he, you know, the tax collector, which was a wicked, wicked man. Hey, I'm going to come and have dinner with you tonight. The Pharisees and Sadducees, you bunch of vipers, you. You will miss Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John if you don't understand that there's two ministries that Jesus was doing. He was still ministering, but there's two separate ministries. Are you ready? Hang on, I'm going to tell you. There were the religious people that lived by the law. The Pharisees, Sadducees, the lawyers, all these religious people. They thought, we're doing the law pretty good. And so, therefore, we're getting close to God because, you know, we're doing pretty good. We got the law down. You know, we keep the Sabbath. He doesn't. We are close to God because we keep the law. So Jesus would minister differently. He was trying to help them, but it was a total different ministry that he was ministering to them than he was the ones that were just, they knew they were, they were a mess and they needed God. So he would minister grace to them. He who's without sin cast the first stone. Minister grace to them, but to the Pharisees and Sadducees, he would just sit there. They're living by the law and they think that the law is going to get them close to God. Are you following me? So this is his ministry to them. So you have to know who he's talking to because the church embraces the same ministry that he ministers to the Pharisees. And then we bring that into our life. You will be messed up. Because to the Pharisees and Pharisees, that's some other sect in there. But anyway, if he would sit there and they go, what do I need to do to get to heaven? Jesus would give them the, these five or six laws. He would give them laws. He never gave laws to the other people, but he gave the religious people laws. He says, well, I've done all of those since my birth, and I kind of doubt that, but we'll go along. Jesus says, well, you need to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all. This is the greatest law. I'm ready to throw something at you now. Are you ready? I'm going to preach on this probably in February, but I'm going to give you a prelude. He said, to love the Lord thy God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your might. It's the greatest law. That is the greatest law. We're not under the law. I used to pray, Lord, just help me to love you more. Why would I pray that? pray that because I obviously didn't think that I loved God enough. And everybody would probably think the same thing. But did you know that's a law that we have been freed from? 
What are you saying, Pastor Mike? We don't have to love God? No, I'm just saying that's a law. Do you realize why John was the closest? If you read the book of John, I had my leaders read all the book of John. If you realize that John was the closest to Jesus, not because John loved Jesus more than the others. John had a revelation that Jesus loved him. Five times in the book of John, five times in the book of John, it says this. Instead of him calling himself John, he said, the disciple that Jesus loved. I'm just saying. I mean, I used to think, man, that dude, he's a little bit arrogant. I mean, I'm the disciple that Jesus loved. He loved Jesus, but he understood that Jesus loved him. This will set you free that I, because listen to me, you are just like me. If we say, oh, I just need to love God more, you're never going to think you love him enough, or you're never going to be good enough to just fulfill that. Am I telling you right? I just need to love God more. Oh, God, I don't love you enough. And so you're always going to come up short. Do you know why? Because it's about you, and you're making it a law with your relationship with Jesus, and you'll always come up short. God understood that. That's why he said, I detest for you to have a knowledge of right and wrong. Man. (laughs) Because we make it about us. The majority of my life, I made it about Mike Davis. And it's a stench in the nostrils of God because that's self-righteousness. Right and wrong is self-righteous. So he starts ministering to the first season Sadducees. Man, I mean something fierce. They thought they were doing good. Have you been committing adultery? Oh, absolutely not. Have you looked at some woman and going, wow. Mama mia, she's hot. You committed adultery. What? Yeah. If you want law, I'm going to minister to you to teach you that you can't keep it. You think you're doing pretty good, but I'm going to prove to you that you can't. How about murder? Oh, we no, I don't murder anybody. Have you been mad at somebody that you shouldn't have? Same as murder. Ding, 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 ding. What? Same as murder. You know, if your eyes are bothering you, if you ever looked at porn or if something that you shouldn't have, I mean, I, gotta, I, I can fix that. We're going to poke your eyes out. Could you imagine? Some guy coming to my office says, I've got a problem, Pastor. You know, I've got a problem with porn. Honey, get the poker. We'll take care of this. No problem. You will not have a problem after today. If your hand did something wrong, no problem. Melody, bring the axe. We're going to take care of this. Chop your hands off. What was he saying? He was talking about law. He was saying, you're thinking you're doing this. I'm going to give you more law. He was ministering more law to them. To one guy, he thought he was doing pretty good. Jesus turns around and listen to this. this I saw this. And I thought, are you kidding me? 
He says, I'm doing pretty good. Jesus says, yeah, you're doing really good. He says, now I want you to do something. Go and sell all that you have and give to the poor. He gives them another law. Did you know that's not even anywhere in the old covenant? It's not even in there. He just, I don't know if he just pulled that out of his hat or whatever. I'm going to give you another law to do. Just sell all that you have. And the guy walked away sheepishly. Why? Because he couldn't keep that law. His relationship with God is, I've been doing pretty good. I've been doing pretty good. Jesus said, you have, man, you have. I want you to do one more thing. Sell all that you have and give it to the poor. He didn't say that to anybody else. He said that to a law-abiding, walking person who was trying to have a relationship based upon what he could or could not do. We still do the same thing today. I'm out of time, but I have to tell you this. Give me five more minutes. I was meditating upon that this week, and the Lord said, the reason I also didn't want you to to have a knowledge of right and wrong is because you take that into your relationships with one another as well. marriage it's a tough thing if you've been married more than six days you you probably know (laughs) sometimes six hours but anyway it it could be really tough (laughs) oh nobody's laughing but anyway it could be but uh, and the Lord said relationships if you're not married you you need to take this in all of your relationships. Everybody say, I'm listening, Pastor. I know it, 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 this is one of the most, this is the punch of the message. If we base our relationships and our marriage upon right and wrong, it's going to create a distance between you and that person. Just like it created a distance between Adam and Eve when they got the knowledge of right and wrong and they ran from God. They had the knowledge of good and evil, right and wrong, and it caused them to be a distance. Listen to me. Your relationship should not be be based upon right or wrong in your marriage or your friends or anything else because it will eventually create a distance between the two of you. You say, what are you saying? I'm saying the basis of your relationship has to be upon just like what Jesus said, walking with him in the cool of the day, learning his heart, fellowshipping and getting a hold of him and knowing that you're one with him. That's the same in marriage or being the best friend. Your relationship with them, it should be based upon that, knowing who they are, not based upon, I love you if you do right today. And if you do wrong, I'm not going to love you as much. Boy, that's marriage 101. That's the best marriage advice I could ever get. If I gave you that, you would not need to come and see me. Does that make sense? Don't get stupid. I'm going to go, I can do anything I want in this room right now. No, you, yeah. I'll see you at the divorce court. That's what I'll see you. But no, I'm not saying that because listen to me. Jesus knew this, that if you're intimate with him and walk with him, the right and the wrong will fall off to the wayside. You may not be perfect. Obviously, you won't be perfect, but I know one thing. Your love for one another won't be based upon, she did me good, so I'm going to love her a little bit more. He didn't do as good. I don't love him as much. Right and wrong. 
going to create distance between the two of you. Your best friends. It's going to create distance between the two of you. It's not supposed to be the foundation of your relationship. It's not supposed to be the foundation of your relationship with him. Did you get that? Everybody got it? You understand? Because I'm out of time. Let's stand. Living from the mindset of right and wrong will always create a distance between you and God. If you think you're doing good, you'll come to the end of yourself. You will. You'll get burned out. You know, you hear people got, well, I got all burned out. Whether you're a pastor, whether you're a person going to church, I just got burned out. The reason you got burned out is because you were in the tree of knowledge of right and wrong. Instead of the tree of life, tree of life will keep you free. Tree of right and wrong, you will get burned out, honey. Guaranteed. Why? Because you're just human. But the good news is, God never intended that to be the basis of your foundation to walk with Him. How many think that's really good news? I think that is such good news. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you in Jesus' name. I believe for all of us to have our eyes open to the kind of fellowship that you're truly wanting, that it's not based upon what we can do or not do, but it's based upon Jesus and what he has done for us and that he desires for us to talk to him, walk with him throughout our life, throughout our life, having such a strong relationship with him based upon him and not based upon us. Give us that revelation. May it grow at Rocky Mountain Family Church. And may we spread the good news throughout this city. May we spread the gospel, how much God loves us. In Jesus' name, amen.